Welcome to Miami Creators, a show focused on bringing you the inspiring stories behind Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. I am your host, Corrado, and on today's episode, I speak with Meg Daly, a 30-year sales and marketing veteran who is currently CEO and president of Friends of the Underline, a project transforming the land below Miami's Metro Rail into a 10-mile linear park, urban trail, and public art destination. Today, you'll hear Meg and I discuss the story of how the idea for the Underline came about, the hurdles she's had to face along the way, including but not limited to the COVID pandemic, making sure the community was on board with the project's vision, and last but not least, having to raise the $140 plus million needed to complete the project. So, without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this fun and inspiring conversation with Meg Daly. Meg, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. It is great to have you on. You know, the the show is called Miami Creators. And the the other day I was with my daughters walking around. They were looking at the butterflies and all that stuff that are right here down in the underline. And I thought to myself, Meg fits that description of a Miami creator perfectly. If it wasn't for her, this experience that I'm having with my daughters and my family and everything would not be happening. So... Thank you for everything that you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you for coming to that Miami City Ballet event. Yes. It was our first test in doing something um, out in public and that was during great. the pandemic. And I think everybody felt safe. Yes. More on the way for you and your family as we continue to grow the underline. That's awesome. Love it. Love it. So maybe let's start from the beginning. Sure. Um, give the listeners a little bit of a of a sneak peek or, or a brief description of who you are, what the underline is. So somebody who's just tuning in who hasn't heard what the underline is, take it away. Well, the idea for the underline um, started about seven years ago when I had a bike accident and broke both of my arms. And I mean, I'm really an A-type person. Um, I've been an entrepreneur my adult life and I couldn't do anything for myself. You know, I had to be driven everywhere. I needed a caregiver for a couple of weeks. It was very humbling. Um, but it also forced me into a space that, you know, said, let me get around in a different way other than driving. So after a couple of months of going to physical therapy in Coconut Grove, I live in the, the Gables near Univers- University of Miami, I took Metro Rail and got walked under, below the train tracks to get to uh, physical therapy. And there was this moment, I think if you have creators listening, this moment of really opening your senses to the space like you've never experienced it before. And it was like I really opened my um, my mind's eye into what could be in this dead space below Metro Rail. And in that moment, I was like, "Why don't we Why don't we create a park out of this space?" Like I had no idea what I was thinking about or talking about, but I just couldn't get the idea out of my head. And um, so I just started shopping it and talking to people. And I have this crazy idea, and they didn't think it was so crazy. They thought it was a really good idea. And so I think you know, sort of that groundswell of support really buoyed me to bring others into this journey um, with me. Because this is not a project of one, it's a project of, of many. can imagine. Yeah, so fast forward to today. Um, the underline will be a 10-mile linear park and trail 
um, off-road um, dedicated facilities for pedestrians and bicyclists, and I'll, I'll get to why that's important. Um, from the Miami River to Dayland South. So it's 120 acres of repurposing this, this land that was just hold, you know, supporting columns that had the train running on top. And there's like a whole new genre of parks and it's repurposing this, um, this sort of dead infrastructure and, um, and these spaces that can have other purposes than just that one dimensional uh, first intention. The High Line comes to mind, right? Yeah, the High Line um, was the early inspiration. I'm just sort of a parks nut generally. Okay. I think that they're the green soul of a city. Um, but, you know, where are you going to go out and get enough land in the heart of downtown to create a central park? Mm-hmm. So when the cost of land is so high in the urban core, you have to be much more creative about the opportunities you find, you know, so even pop-up parks or these neighborhood small parks, but the issue is they don't connect. So how do you connect them so you and your family, you and your kids um, can walk there, bike there, dance there, like your daughter does, and and feel safe? Right. And so that was that's really the, the big idea. And then I just finished a tour with the former director of the county parks department. And he was one of, he and his, um, at the time, uh, deputy director, Maria Nardi were early champions, those people, those cheerleaders, you know, who make you believe in the impossible. And and he's like, wow, you had this big idea and it's happened. You've opened your first half mile. So half mile doesn't sound like a lot. Um, We've completed a half mile. It's a huge undertaking. Um, It opened in uh, February. And um, and now we're um, working on phase two, which goes from Coral Way down to uh, North Grove. And that's in very developed design. That'll start construction this summer. And then the last phase from North Grove all the way to Dadeland is seven miles long, completing the 120 acres, will all be completed by 2025. Wow. Making this the fastest moving project of its scope in the in probably in the country, if not North America. I was reading on the website and just off of quickly browsing through the website, I saw that there's like a total price tag on the whole thing is like 140 plus million or something like that? That's absolutely correct. Wow. 14 million a mile. Um, So I'm the founder of the nonprofit. Um, I've been a full-time volunteer for seven years. I just feel like this is my calling and my mission. And, you know, sometimes being a creator is believing in the impossible and sticking to it despite. Um, and, and, And so we've done the fundraising for the public dollars that do not come to our organization. They go to the county, and then the county procures, which is they put it out to bid for competitive bid, selects the contractor, and then oversees that whole process. And they have a substantial staff to be able to do that. But we were we were, we collectively invested in the vision. So you know, I had the idea. You know, there are a lot of good ideas, but not all of them get done. Right. So right. It, it requires a lot of tenacity, but it also, you know, you need to find a really good design team to help you articulate what it, whatever's in your mind's eye. Like, what's that big idea? If you're not, an, if I'm not, I'm not an artist myself, but I, but I knew kind of what I wanted, but more importantly, we had to ask the community what it wanted. And so right. every good idea has come from someone who lives here and not just me. So this isn't Meg. I think you need to put this there and that there. I, I mean, I just sort of like, you know, I'm like a, traffic director. That's all I am. I'm, not, I'm more of a doer than a yeah. creator. Um, and, um, and and it's really been really so rewarding to have so many people show up with their good ideas and a good design team to be able to articulate them. So 
just hearing the stats and 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 seeing firsthand the the construction of it and now seeing it finished at least this first phase and everything my mind immediately goes to how much of the original idea is what we are seeing today how much of it has evolved and how do you get the ball rolling there like where do you start right it's it, it sounds like such a daunting project mm. right yeah especially since you know i i still don't really know what i'm doing um so <laughs> it's like you know so you you know first of all you have to know that maybe you don't have all the answers and that was easy for me because i had none of them and um but i talked to people who could you know this person could have an answer that one could i spoke to my father a uh, very early he was the founder of the performing arts center and really sort of knew the public private model okay. and um He was the founder of the Arch Center. Okay. Um, but he didn't know how to do the, a park either. You know, so we, everything was from zero, from scratch. There's no books you can check out of the library or no Google you can do that tells you how to build a park like this. Right. Um, so, you know, between my father and another sort of like brain trust that we assembled, uh, we just knocked on doors and um, asked for a lot, you know, asked for money. We asked for expertise. We asked for input, support. Um, so from the county, the county has provided an entire staff that works on this project, a dedicated project manager, um, just within the transit department, 90 employees in one way or another have worked on this project. So we didn't have that capacity, uh, wow. but the depth of the county and the, and the quality of, of the people there, you know, have been very helpful. But I think that without the vision, you know, so we, we very early invested in, um, hiring a design team, which we put out to bid. And it's the same team that did the Highline that you mentioned. Okay. What was so cool about them was they didn't say, oh, we're just going to bring the Highline to Miami. They said, we need to make this Miami zone. So the, before they ever put pen to paper, you know, they really, they listened first. So we did a number of public input talking sessions. Everybody had Sharpies and everybody was a creator, right? And then because of that, everybody feels like they have some, some skin in the game. A little bit of the underline is their own. So they really organized and sort of um, brought the vision into that from that story into a vision, and we created a master plan. Um, the master plan embraces all the native plants of of South Florida, which are unique to not really to our ecosystem. Right. Um, they they really embraced the need for um, public safety, creating separated facilities for people to walk and bike. Miami is one of the most dangerous places to walk and bike in the country. Um, and, and they really sort of like put their arms around and hugged our, the diverse communities that we have. So all of our wayfinding is in kilometers and in miles. Um, everything we do is multilingual and, and then we ran our public meetings, um, bilingually, you know, so addressing, you know, like everybody's welcome here. Um, everything is ADA accessible. Um, we used universal design principles, um, Yeah, so it's restorative, it's um, gathering places, um, and it celebrates, I think, everything that makes Miami unique and cool. What does it feel when you're walking around the High Line and seeing this idea now a reality? What, the, the underline? You, yes, okay. you personally, when you're walking around and you're looking at people, you're looking at kids and, you, you know, that ballet, outdoor ballet session that, that, that we were a part of, everything. What's going through your head when you're seeing all of that? I think I have probably two little anecdotes I think people will um, relate to. 
One is like when I was in high school, I used to have parties and I'd have the chips out and the sodas and I'd invite a bunch of people. And about an hour before there's a panic. What if nobody comes? <laughs> right? Yeah. You've been there. You've been there. You get it. I've been there. And it's like, and then, or those people who start calling like half an hour before, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Right. That's the only phone call you get. But then they start spilling in to your house or your party and and then the noise turns up a little bit and it just gets to be more and more fun. That's really how it felt for me. Um, okay. The the multi-generational aspect of the underline was incredibly important to me as well as you know really um, honoring people of all abilities. Um, my youngest brother was born severely uh, disabled um, and my parents got involved in that in the state level. You know, everything from rumble strips to crosswalks, they got involved with that. So when I look out, my window, our office directly look, overlooks the underline. There's a big crosswalk in the middle of the underline that didn't used to be there that connected two sides of the street. And it was like, literally, the fences came down from construction. Within an hour, there were people in wheelchairs, on walkers, on um, bikes, on foot, um, people walking their dog, I mean, all ages, all abilities, and they got it. They knew that this was built for them. And that was, that was really, that really was, I sort of like, yeah, okay, we got that right. Right. And then I think the the other thing is, you know, when you when you watch your child play a sport, and it's like my son played tennis, Sean, don't get mad at me for telling on you. Um, it was like, please don't hit him a backhand, right? And then and then after a while he started hitting that backhand, he started getting it back, and that sort of became his strength. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, all those things you you sort of thought about that could be your weakness in building the space, and all of a sudden it just starts working. Right. And we, we've spent a lot of time working on that and thinking about every outcome of, of everything that we've done. Everything here is intentional and it, and it paid off. The backhand started working. <laughs> love it. Love it. How did the pandemic um, affect the build out? The, how has it affected the project? Because I, I, I feel like in, you probably have two things going on at the same time. One is this incredible interest to be outdoors and people want to be outdoors more than ever. Right. And, but I can also imagine that you probably had some, some hurdles that you had to get over, over, you know, construction materials and, and all of that. So, wow, you get all that. That's impressive. Um, we were able, actually able to monitor people's use of the existing empath, which is the, which is the asphalt trail um, that's currently there. The underline, you know, is improved edge to edge. So it's 100 feet wide times 10 miles long, and the empath is eight feet wide. So from edge to edge, we've improved. Um, COVID affected us in a number of ways. One, we were able to prove that, you know, sort of like if you build it, they will come because people were using the empath in in huge numbers. Um, and the, the um, bicycle sales skyrocketed during COVID. Like people learned to bike for the first time. They dusted off their bike. Max Cycle says that, you know, they they had a wait list for bicycles. They just couldn't keep it in stock. They were selling 50 a day. So, yeah, like if you build it, they will come. There's a pent-up demand for this, even though it hasn't opened. The second was, you know, this, this appreciation for outdoor spaces, sort of like, yeah, outdoors are the new indoors. Everybody's, like, clamoring to be outdoors. You saw what happened in New York. They closed streets. They repurposed parking spaces to have spill-out dining mm -hmm. into streets and and that's cultivated a whole new industry, actually, yeah. outside of the underline. We're real excited about that. Um, and um, also, it, it really, a lot of philanthropy, and we're a nonprofit, I mentioned, was directed to 
feeding people programs. You know, so typical philanthropy for green spaces, public spaces, and for all the programs that we would be offering were directed to COVID-specific um, mission, you know, projects. So okay. it, it basically gutted our philanthropy um, for, for quite some time. And here we are in March hiring a whole staff in advance of thinking we'd be opening in the fall. So we staffed up our, and everybody else is laying off and furloughing. I added my whole staff. I had operated this project for, you know, six, seven years with three people. And I had to triple the staff. So someone moved from New York. Someone left a job she loved. Um, someone moved from Atlanta, right? So another one left another job he loved. So I'm like, what are we going to do to keep these people here? Because we still need them. We just didn't know when we opened because I'm going to go back to your construction um, question, which was dead on accurate. Supply chain problems, construction workers had COVID. How do you social distance and pass a concrete block? I mean, <laughs> think about that, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and yet it was considered an essential business, so construction didn't stop. So while the construction fences were up, I was home in quarantine running Zoom calls with all our new hires all day. And, um, and construction continued and I didn't even get here till May. And all of a sudden the planting was in and things were growing and butterflies were everywhere. It was like mind blowing. It did slow us down. We didn't, we were six months late on opening. Um, but I think we deserve a hall pass for that because of the circumstances. We kept our entire staff and we didn't, we didn't even meet each other for two months after the team was hired. So wow. it created those like once in a lifetime challenges of, of building a team, building, you know, um, coalescing them and galvanizing their spirit when we're all locked on lockdown, stuck in our homes. But I feel like maybe in a weird way, you guys probably had or felt deep down inside a greater reason for getting it done because you're going through that phase of being cooped up inside. And it's like, you're building the promised land, like this outdoor space where people can go and enjoy themselves and be safe. So that's awesome. Well, you know, and we were like, well, what do we, what do we do? We can't program. So we did much like we're doing today. We started to put panel discussions together around a variety of topics and we named it Miami Voices. I am like, again, once again, I don't know what I'm doing. Team doesn't know what they're doing. And we would have these 20 minute um Zoom panel discussions around these topics, um, everything from art to public spaces to the need for infrastructure to safely walk and bike. And, you know, we'd have a, you know, a few thousand people, you know, watching. I don't know if it was the quality of the program, but maybe they had nothing else to do. <laughs> what are your, what are some of the, the biggest challenges and opportunities um, that you see coming for our community, you know, Brickell and, and the extended area, right? In the next couple of years, three, five years or so. A hundred percent infrastructure. And, you know, the, and the underline is seen as an infrastructure project, which it is. Um, but, you know, we really need to see, think about resilience. And um, like we're adding bioswales along the underline for stormwater mitigation, green infrastructure. Um, not all hard structure, I mean, all, not all infrastructure has to be, you know, hard-coded. Um, but I think that we need to introduce technology um, to make investments um, smarter, um, listen to people better um, to make sure that, you know, we're delivering on the community's vision. That's very hard work. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I really need to emphasize that. It's a lot easier to go into a cave and design something and come out and say you're done 
but to really listen to people and respect their opinion is very hard work. It's also hard to get them to to show up because they they really don't believe that they'll be listened to. So I think that um, and, and communities change, right? Their dynamics that what you heard five years ago may not be the same that right. you would hear today. Um, fortunately for us, the priorities for the community are still the same, which is safety first, nature second. So I would say that you know we have some significant challenges in infrastructure, transportation. Um, I just joined the the transportation trust, which is the 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 group, the body that governs the half penny tax um, for transportation. There's just not enough money. It's a lot of money, but it's just not enough. Right. Um, and I think that also um, really rethinking how we build um, to think about when you when you put a building down, it's like a once in thirty year opportunity to get everything around it right, and to think holistically about how we build. And make sure that we're not just building towers that don't speak to the street and speak to the people walking by. And so I, I think really sort of thinking at our about our city, like at 30,000 feet, like how does everything have purpose? Like much like we've done about intention, um, not just being a one-off, but who you, ne- who you sit next to and you connect with next door. So you mentioned earlier that your background, you know, you've been an entrepreneur your entire life. Maybe go a little bit into that. What, what was... What have you done in the past? What's your background? What what fields have you uh, been a part of? Because I'm I'm curious to find out how that <laughs> translates into what you're doing today. Um. Well, I had a, a my career was always in marketing. Um, ah. <laughs> I, right. Okay. So so remember earlier on, I said I talked to a lot of people. Like to me, everything was a focus group. You know, what are they thinking? Sales mantra is you know you try to get one in ten people to think you have a good idea. And when nine and 10 out of 10 are saying you have a great idea, then you probably have something that you're ready to go to market with. Right. So I just used a lot of the marketing principles. Um, I first worked in advertising. Um, most people don't remember. There was a store here called Brudines. Yes. <laughs> wow. I was, um, I was kicked up the ranks in the advertising department. Um, I worked in PR uh, briefly and then got into um, more specifically direct marketing. I did direct marketing for television stations. Okay. And we big, large scale sweepstakes supported by direct mail and, you wow. know, watch and okay. wins. Yeah, it's very commercial, <laughs> very retail. Um, but it was a great little business. Um, gave me the flexibility to be a mom and take my son to tennis matches on the weekends and my daughter to rowing, mat- you know, events. So trying to find that work life balance was really important to me. Um, and then I retired, um, at 40. <laughs> wow. Way to go. I would not recommend it. <laughs> it was like after about a couple of years, all I did was talk about my dog and, um, and I was like just itching to do something. So I, I, I worked with my friend who has a, a really great real estate practice. I ran that for a couple of years and then went back into business, um, starting an enterprise software company. And then I had broke both of my arms. And then I said, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. Wow. That's crazy. I know. Yeah, but you know, you know the business of deadlines. You know, so I, if we missed a deadline, we were contractually bound to that. And there aren't a lot of people that A, know how to communicate, and B, know how to meet a deadline. Mm-hmm. And so bringing those two skills to this space has been really helpful. And I think also integrity, um, doing what you say you're going to do was one of the greatest compliments I ever got. I guess that sounds sort of like, you know, that's a low bar. But to me, it was the highest compliment because it meant that, you know, people respected me and trusted me and they thought that I I brought integrity to my promises. 
I'm not surprised to hear that you have a background in marketing because it is something that crossed my mind as I was seeing the whole underlying project happening. I was like, okay, there, there's a really good marketing team behind this. So I commend well, well, you. I'm, thank you. But I'm old school, right? Um, so I, I stopped working in marketing officially uh, with the direct marketing company. Um, but it's all translatable. Of course. You know, so I know how to do a selfie. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> 60, but I could do a selfie. Of course. Um, but I also had um, an incredible branding um, early on. Um, it was through the master plan of the underline with James Corner Field Operations. Um, P- Pentagram was engaged, um, one of the best branding companies in the world based out of London and New York. And um, the lead designer had come up with the underline logo and name. Um, and in all of the wayfinding storytelling, it's all super iconic and strong. And we sold the underline early on as if it were a thing before it was ever really visioned out. Yeah. And people started to believe because we had such a strong brand. And we won an archetizer event for talking about selling your brand before you ever open the door, like before we ever soft opened, before we even had a master plan. Right. We were talking about that it was a living organism and people started to believe. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned your accident that kind of kicked you into this new track of life. Any other experiences that most shaped your life? Yeah, I think that um, my parents were had moved to Miami in 1960. It's a very different city in 1960 um, than it is today. It was sleepy, full of potential, um, and and my mom and dad, you know, moved our whole family from Boston, and they immediately activated in the community, you know, saving Bird Road, no, making Bird Road historical, saving the Biltmore. I mean, they were always, we had a lot of fa- kids in my family, so we were always getting petitions signed. <laughs> we were free, um, and they only had to pay us lunch. And right. so, um, so I think that I was never really active because uh, I had a company and I had a family and I was doing all this stuff revolving around that. But I but I feel like a really sort of everything I've done has gotten me to today. And I think I'm going to go back to what you were talking about. I think a lot of creators think, you know, like the ideas enough, right? The my creations enough, my arts enough. It should speak for itself. No, you have to speak for it. You have to be your best ambassador. You need to help people understand why your art is so great, right? So don't wait for your patron to come along and do that work for you. If you're not your own patron, I mean, you just may not be able to get out the door. So that's what I did really early. And, and the collision of activism and, you know, sort of hawking the product and the project was a really good marriage um, for the underline. You speak to enough people um, that have achieved success or that they've Done successful projects or anything, it, you're bound to find a a series of failures along the way mm-hmm. um, that ultimately lead you in down the path that you end up in. Any favorite failures of yours that come to mind? And by that I mean something that at the moment seemed like this is horrible. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. But later on, looking back, you realize, oh wow, had it not been for that, I this other great thing would have not happened or I wouldn't have achieved X, Y, or Z? I mean, I think breaking my arms was was very hard for me personally, that I couldn't do anything for myself. And, you know, it's like we're in the business of when you get lemons, you make lemonade. 
and I got very fortunate that I was slowed down by the world uh, for a very finite period of time. And I wasn't disabled by that, but it, it forced me to think and, and sort of see through different lens. Um, Cause I'm sort of like, get on, get in my day, wake up. I have, you know, this test, this test, this tech. And I'm at the end of the day, did I do them all? Damn it. I didn't, you know? And um, so being a task person, you know, it was good for me to slow down. And that's when I discovered that moment. Um, I can tell you about a tragedy. Um, my dad died um, and he had really sort of been with working with me in lockstep uh, for the first few years of the project. And I literally relied on every him for everything. He was my Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right. Like, what do I do about this? And what do I do about that? And, and um, he had heart surgery and it was supposed to be, you know, sort of like those really simple procedures that just went sideways and, and he died three months later. And it was devastating to me. And I literally thought that I was going to fold, like personally. And all these people stepped in. Like, you know, no one fills my dad's shoes. Of course. Um, because he's, he's is a great man and was a great man. Um, but there was a gift from that that I, I learned to trust and, and, um, and accept the support from others. Uh, because he and I were just sort of like this duo doing everything together. And my gift in that was that I was able to work with my father as a peer um, for the last time in my life and the last time in his life, which was really special. Um, when did I think that um, something was terrible? So um, there was a commissioner in, in South Miami who hated the underline, hated it, would come to our public meetings and hand out flyers that were stealing money. And <laughs> we're doing, I'm like, my head's blowing off my body, like, because I'm not getting paid. It's only because of my love of community, love of working with all these people. I'm really excited for the vision and the opportunity to transform. And it was like this, here's my big gift to all of you. And it was, it really hurt me. And I, I went to my dad, again, my Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I said, dad, you know, what do I do about this guy? I will add a sidebar that he turned came around and um, he passed away recently, um, but uh, we were definitely on very good terms. Um, and he said, he doesn't matter. I said, well, how do you know he doesn't matter? He's a commissioner. He can vote on things and he's saying terrible things and he's doing op-eds. And, and he's like, he doesn't matter. So my dad had worked out this, almost this calculus of understanding, like go into a room and everything was a chessboard and and he would see all the moves on the board before anybody else did. Okay. And he would say, he doesn't matter for this reason, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, okay. So I think I, over time, just, you know, sort of through osmosis, absorbed some of that. And, um, and I learned, sometimes I get it wrong, um, who mattered and, and who didn't. I mean, most, almost everybody matters, but right. sometimes, you know. But there's the key players that, that right. can make or ruin a, a project. Right, or, but if or, someone's yeah. trolling or yeah. just, you know, haters, you just have to keep your eye on the ball and just get your work done. Yeah. So when you're going through these difficult times, any quotes or or things that you are um, constantly reminding yourself of or things that you try to live by as you're going through these difficult times or good times or anything? Yeah, here's one. If it's easy, it's not worth it. Okay. And um, that was, again, one of my dad's sayings. Um, because, you know, it's 60 and I started this project at 53. I mean, I really don't know what my, what my, how long my life's going to be anymore. I, I do think about the reality of, of death. I don't live it every day, but it's, you know, it's out there, particularly during COVID. 
course. You know, it was very scary time. You know, I'm in, I'm not at risk or anything, but you know, th- this is I have I have 30% of my life left to live. And if I'm not doing something that has purpose, um, it ain't worth it. And and in my in my history and the things that I've done, um, there's nothing more rewarding than what I'm doing now. So I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, I think you know I've I've often said that there's one positive thing that came from COVID, which is it kind of shocked everyone or or slapped a lot of people across the face and made us realize that how fragile we are, how how some of the things that we often place so much importance on really didn't matter, right? And and it just recalibrated the entire world very quickly to to realize what is important and what isn't. And no, I completely agree with you. I mean, look at the look what has happened in society. I mean, what, you know, were hidden wounds um, are now gaping and hopefully they'll scar over, but they'll always be there. I mean, what we've seen, you know, is unprecedented. Um, the other thing is, I, I I say this often, and I never thought of this before, which is be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because, I mean, I when I started this project, it was like literally jumping off a cliff. Um, I had never even shaken hands with an elected official before. I never asked anybody for a million dollars. <laughs> Let alone 140 plus. <laughs> and then 140, come on, you know? How did that feel, Your the first ask? It felt terrifying. Um, but do the things, doing the things that you don't know how to do, you know, you'll figure it out. Uh, and you may not do it as well as you as you want to, but you'll figure it out. I'm not a natural public speaker, um, so I'm okay at it now. I'm not a great public speaker, um, but I did want to inspire people, and and that was important to me. And I thought that it had to be something you said that was special, magical, that they could take away and it would change their lives, right? No, people just want to hear you care, and if you and if you communicate your message with passion, it's a lot better than being good at delivering those words. So, yeah, and then if you follow it up with action, then and then do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Um. So you know, I, I think those are my two messages, right? And the other thing is, like, I, I say this often. You know, I I used to think that I could do it myself, and and we is a lot stronger than me. And so a project of this scale is not about me; it's about the we. It's the only way to get it done. Yeah. What's next for you and the underline in the coming years? What are you looking? What are you looking forward to? We have a, a five-year time horizon to complete the remaining nine and a half miles while programming a park. Um, Baptist Health South Florida is our um, health and wellness uh, programming partner. Um, the Flex Court, which is right next to where you were, the soundstage. We haven't talked about all the cool things to do on the underline post-COVID. Um, our Flex Court sponsor, Squire, I mean, we're all talking about activating those spaces with free yoga, meditation, Zumba, um, Oh Miami. We're launching an urban haiku program this month where we'll be displaying all these poems that people wrote during COVID. Wow. Um, we had hundreds of beautiful poetry, so we selected the top. I didn't. <laughs> I had enough to do. <laughs> um, but, I mean, people more qualified. Um, we're working on our art program um, which is a substantial vision. Um, so there's like literally something for everyone. So while we're building, we're also programming, maintaining, securing this incredible facility so it's beautiful every day and activated every day. 
Um, so I, I hope people will sign up on our website at theunderline.org and we'll just shoot you an occasional me- email and let you know what's going on. Um, so when we, and I think that we also have a very small staff for all the work that we do. Um, and, you know, I think that there are people probably better than me um, to do what I do. But at this time, I'm the only one willing to do it for free. <laughs> so, so if there's anybody else out there who wants to do this for free, please give me a shout. You can IM me if you want. Um, and um, no, I, I am committed to working on this project. But I think COVID has also said I have got to get out there and travel and see right. the rest of the world. And there's so many amazing things to see. Yeah. Um, to draw inspiration from absolutely, everything. you know. So I have a a bucket list. So that designer I talked about, who did our logo, is now married to my daughter. Wow. Okay. And um, you know, so I think it's just growing my family and being with my grandchildren and hoping that they enjoy the underline and use it to get to school and use it to get to my house eventually. And um, and then you know we'll see where this goes. So switching into a segment that I like to do. At every episode. It's called the Miami Rapid Fire. So it's just quick questions about Miami living and then quick answers. First thing that comes to your mind. Best and worst thing about living in Miami? Um, the best is probably, to me, the weather. Can I have a second best? Of course. The fact that we're bounded by two incredible parks, um, the bay, as well as the Everglades. I mean, that is really one of the unique features of living here. The worst is transportation. Favorite food spot and dish? Oh, God, how fast does this have to be? I love Hillstone. Okay. And um, I'm a big fan of their crab cakes. Okay. Perfect way to spend a Miami weekend? At the Underline. Love it. I knew you were going (laughs) to. God, because that's really where I am every weekend. (laughs) I have a second favorite, and it's babysitting for my grandsons. How many? I have two. Um, The oldest, Lucas Parker Daly middle name after my dad, uh, will be three in May. And my youngest um, is Nico Nicolás. Their first language is Spanish. Okay. Um, is just over one. If you're stuck in Miami traffic, what are you listening to? I'm listening to The Daily. Okay. Um, the New York Times podcast um, or a Pandora Depeche Mode playlist. Um, any other Miami businesses, individuals, or entrepreneurs that are doing that you think are doing amazing things that you want to show a little bit of love to? Well, you know, I think that there's you know a real culinary experience here um, that is blowing up. So you know, shout out to all these pop-ups like Jaguar Sun that I understand is already closed. Uh, there was a great little Italian bistro that took overtook a. Um, like a Persian restaurant um, north of downtown. And, you know, I just hope that you guys are willing to experiment and continue to fail and succeed all at the same time. I think it took a lot of courage to try to open up a restaurant during COVID. Um, So, you know, my husband and I are creatures of habit (laughs) and we tend to sort of go in our little five mile radius, Um, but we will have some very cool culinary experiences on the underline, um, which we're working on. And just at this event this weekend, um, we had Paleta 305 came out and gave away, you know, free popsicles. We love them. Uh, We're looking at a lemonade stand opening up. And through the Children's Trust, we have this program called Budding Entrepreneurs. 
which is um, kids from um, underserved schools will be able to submit their um, business plan ideas for business on the underline. They had to take a class at Miami-Dade College for credit to write their business plan, and then 10 of them get to open up their businesses on the underline. I love that. So we were selected. The criteria is it has to be most likely to fail. Okay. <laughs> because it's such a hard program <laughs> to execute. So we have like juniors and seniors going to school, curating, we curate this incredible idea, have to put them in like on the morning shift, the midday, the noon, what happens on Saturdays, you know, it's like a, and we have to mentor them. We have Beacon Council mentors. I think it is going to succeed. I, I think I it's going it. to be blowout. People are like, that's impossible. And I'm like, that's what we do. <laughs> I love it. Um, so in a second, I'm going to ask you to share with the listeners uh, where they can connect with you and where they can find out more about the underline and everything. But before we do that, any parting thoughts, anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to um, to share with the listeners, anything? Yeah, I think that there's um, there was a moment when um, I knew that the underline would happen, but I always knew the underline would happen. Like there were people could say, do you think it's really going to happen? I'm like, wait, you don't? So, I, you know, there is something to be said for operating with blinders on and believing. And it's, it's really hard because there's a lot of things that, you know, give you reason to not believe every day, particularly when we had no money and no funding and no vision, right? But for some reason, I just knew. And um, maybe it was just sort of all those positive voices making me believe. But when um, now Mayor Suarez, um, and he, at the time he was a commissioner, dedicated up to $50 million for construction of the underline in the city of Miami. And our projected cost was over a hundred million. I'm like, okay, I'm halfway, we're halfway there. And right. it's just getting over that tipping point when you're like pushing that, that rock this is very Greek, isn't it? This is like mythology, <laughs> pushing that rock up the mountain and it gets to the top and it starts to take on its own life. Yeah. And what I recommend to all you creators is to sort of let that, let that rock roll and 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 have a little joy in it picking up its own moss along the way and you not having to control every piece of it. And 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 that was really a big moment for me to say I don't have to I don't have to know everything. I don't have to curate everything. Right? Other people can be part of this fabric. And so, you know, your art, your creation, you know, doesn't have to be what you started with. What's the best way for listeners to get a hold of you? Stay up to date on everything related to the underline, everything. So we're, we are um, street level. Um, our office is right across from the underline. Um, Post-COVID, it'll be our information center at 80 Southwest 8th Street. Um, our website is theunderline.org. You can follow us on social media at the underline MIA. We listen to every idea. We document it. We reply back. Um, and anything you tell us, your ideas um, will be considered. Awesome. Meg, thank you so much. You said your dad's name was Patrick? Parker Thompson. Parker. Mm -hmm. Parker. Parker would be so proud of what you've done. I wish so. he could be on your podcast. Such a great man. Much more interesting than I am. Thank you for being no, a part of this. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Hey guys, it's Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, for detailed show notes, recommendations of people or businesses you'd love to see featured on the show, and more, just head over to MiamiCreators.com or connect with us at Miami Creators on Instagram. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would find it interesting. 
That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>